I wanted y'all to know that I've got a special friend here. I know he doesn't want me to announce him, but uh, got a guy here is a local pastor. His name's Chip Wheeler, and this is his son Cade. Chip is my coach. I think that's how I'll describe it. He's teaching me how to plan a church, basically. So, I'm honored to have him. Um, really good to see you. You've been gone for a while. I'm blessed to have Judy Weiss back with us. You've been gallivanting around the country. So, if you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're still in John chapter 6. If you're new here, we do something pretty simple here at Haynes Creek. We just preach through the entire book of the Bible. Uh, we take it from verse 1 all the way to the end. We believe that the Bible all comes from God. It's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's directly from Him. We don't take one word for granted. We go all the way through. And so we're at John chapter 6, verse 60. Big chapter. Before we begin, um, I don't know how many basketball fans we have, but uh, I was severely disappointed this week. Um, I, my boy LeBron got swept. Um, I was kind of in a in a damper. Professional sports don't really change my mood, I would say. That's a good thing. I hope they don't. If you're a Georgia fan, you might need to look into your heart. Um, but uh, it's funny, like, how people in sports, like LeBron, like, I'm a LeBron fan. Some people just look at LeBron, just can't stand LeBron, you know. It's funny, like the Yankees growing up. I've watched the Yankees. They were like the evil empire for me. I just didn't like them. I don't know how you could root for them. You know, people love them. We could look at the same person. I could love the guy. Somebody could hate the guy. That is exactly how it was when Jesus was walking on the earth, amped up to a thousand. Right. And in some sense, it's the same way today. Just utter his name and you'll find out. This morning I'm going to preach to you a sermon that will hopefully offend you. I want to preach a sermon that's going to offend you in some way. And the reason I hope it's somewhat offensive is because Jesus expected His words to be somewhat offensive. And by offend, I don't mean I'm going to get up here and tell you you're all going to hell. What I mean is I hope that the words of Jesus this morning land on your flesh and they make you a little uncomfortable. Because they left everyone in this passage a little uncomfortable. Even the very few who stayed were a little uncomfortable. This passage is a watershed moment in the book of John. Because what we're about to read is essentially almost all of Jesus' disciples abandoning Him because what He had to say was so hard to hear. And what Jesus says is this. He knew all along who His true disciples were. But to add insult to injury, he knows that of the twelve that actually stay, one isn't even really a true disciple. And we know who that was. This morning I want to put forth one truth from this text. If we could boil it down, I want us to take this away. Keep this in mind as we read this passage. Jesus is offensive, not because His words are harsh, but because our hearts are hardened. Jesus is offensive, both then and now. Not because His words are harsh, but because our hearts are hardened. So if you will, stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read ten verses. 
John chapter 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well? You can just hear him say that. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father, let your words pierce our hearts. Let them convict of sin. And let them draw us nearer to Jesus so that we can walk out of here this morning seeing our need for a Savior even more. Father, soften our hearts by your Spirit so that we can receive your word and we can walk obediently as followers of Jesus. And all these things we ask in your Son's name, amen. You can be seated. How many people have ever heard of Kelvin Cochran? I know, I know Judge has. Anybody ever heard that name? Lee, have you not heard that? You'll know who it is. Kelvin Cochran is an African-American man who made his way up through the Shreveport, Louisiana Fire Department. He's been there so long, he actually, in his testimony, he actually recalls there being a time where he actually remembers there was actually white forks and black forks and utensils. I mean, back this guy came up in the South through segregation, actually became the chief of fire department in Shreveport, Louisiana. He did such a good job that he was eventually landed the job as head fire chief in Atlanta. He was appointed by Obama to be the head fire official in America. He actually wrote something called the Atlanta Fire Rescue Doctrine, which basically spelled out as a manual on um, more or less problem solving in, in the fire department. Before coming to Atlanta, though, Kelvin, man of God, wrote a men's Bible study curriculum. And in it, he detailed what he believed to be the biblical picture of marriage. wasn't the purpose of the curriculum, but it was included in it. And in a brief statement included what has traditionally been the understanding in the Christian faith that homosexuality is a sin and that marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. That one phrase, a city councilman in Atlanta noticed and took offense. Kelvin Cochran the highest-ranking fire official in America 
was put before a discrimination review board. He was never disciplined, but he was never reinstated as fire chief, and he was let go. In this world, it doesn't matter what your color of skin is. It doesn't matter if you're a public servant. Apparently, it doesn't even matter if you know the President of the United States. It doesn't matter how influential and high-ranking you are. If you repeat the words of Jesus today, in some form or another, you will offend someone. And the reason is pretty simple. Jesus' words are as offensive in our day as they were in His day. In 21st century America, we have no... There's really... It's kind of remarkable. In 21st century America, we have more rights than anyone else in the world, and yet, ironically, we're more offended than anyone else in the world. As we saw in the Supreme Court ruling last week, if you're a Christian baker and you decide to exercise your freedom of religion to decline service to a same-sex couple according to your conscience, liberals are offended. If you're a black athlete and you decide to exercise your freedom of speech and not stand for the national anthem, conservatives are offended. If you're a journalist and you decide to exercise your freedom of press, it's fake news and everyone's offended. It is virtually impossible today to find someone who is not offended by something in this country, in the land of the free. So the question of whether Jesus offends you today has nothing to do with the rights you have. It hasn't anything to do with where you live. It doesn't even have to do with how much freedom you have. What Jesus says here is about whether you have the Spirit of God or not. When Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. What he's saying is, without the Spirit of God, it's impossible for us not to be offended in some way by what Jesus has to say. Your flesh doesn't want Jesus. It profits nothing. Today, if you were to tell someone, as I hope you have, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him, that all religions are false other than the way. For someone to believe something like that, it takes more than their flesh. It takes the Spirit of God. If you were to tell someone today that mankind is utterly depraved and incapable of anything good apart from the grace of God, the only way someone could believe that is by the Spirit of God. If you were to tell someone they have no ability whatsoever to come to God on their own because the flesh profits nothing, they'd be offended. Our flesh profits nothing. Our flesh gains us nothing but hell. This is what Paul describes true Christians in Philippians chapter 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in ourselves. And because of that truth, we see in this text this morning, the true followers of Jesus are the least offended people on earth. Doesn't mean we can't get offended, but, but, but let me make this even more clear. It should be incredibly difficult. It should be the most difficult to offend a Christian. And we're going to talk about why. 
Which is why I think it's alarming to see so many so-called Christians who claim to be unoffended by Jesus Christ, yet seemingly so severely offended by everything else. Which leads me to think they don't understand how offensive grace can be. God's grace, to a, to a point, is, a, is offensive to our flesh because His grace is on His terms, not ours. Jesus is offensive to these people in John 6, not because His words are harsh, but because their hearts are hardened. See, what Jesus is telling them is the best news they should have ever heard, but instead, most people walk away. You know, you think race and politics and Trump and Russia and Kim Jong-un, you, you think that's offensive. You think that's, if we think that's really divisive, try this. You're a first century Jew. You've been taught your entire life that Moses delivered your people. You've been groomed on the goodness of the law and the stories of God's people. And then there's this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, who comes up and he says, you know all that man in the wilderness? I'm the real man. You know Moses, that guy who, you know, you grew up in the Shema, raising up, you know, you memorized his words, you know, he was your deliverer. He's pointing to me, I'm a real deliverer. Oh, by the way, in order for you to deliver, me to deliver you, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What do you think they would have said? That's not just offensive. I'm sure a lot of these folks thought Jesus was nuts. You can start to see why every single one of these disciples at least thought in their minds, I got to get it. And Jesus knows it's offensive. Look at what he says in verses 62, 62. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, Jesus. Who can, who can hear it? Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So Jesus knows his teaching is hard, and for good measure, he adds, Well, if you saw me go up back to heaven and ascend, what would you say then? If I were to show you my full deity and glory, would you follow me then? And here's the thing, Jesus expects this to be offensive and He wants it to be offensive as Willie just read 1 Peter chapter 2. God has designed His gospel in such a way He wants His message to be offensive in the fact that at the end of the day, whoever encounters Jesus, they have to come face to face with this reality. He will, ever, he will either be a rock of salvation or a rock of offense. That is the design of the gospel. There is no middleman. Uh... <laughs> Ben this morning was talking about how uh, his company, Bard, announced that they're having LGBT week, month. Oh. And people were frustrated, like, I can't believe we're doing that, you know? I'm going, no, 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 hold on. That doesn't mean they support it. What they're really saying is, get out of our way. Hmm. Keep going. Hmm. Because they understand there are issues in this life, you got to come down one or the other. And Jesus is the epitome of that decision. Which will we make of Christ? Is He a rock of salvation or is He a rock of offense? Romans chapter 9, verses 32 through 33. But the Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. 
Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the question that gospel poses us today is the same, same question that Jesus is posing to them. And that is, do my words offend you? I mean, he even kind of looks over to the disciples. He's like, y'all going to leave too? Giving them the opportunity. Which I, we're going to get to. I love Peter's response. And if these words weren't offensive enough, he ratchets it up even more. Verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Whoa! These Jews are thinking to themselves, I'm a Jew. I'm a chosen one. I'm a chosen people. I follow the law and the prophets my whole life. My mom and dad were in the same tribe. My granddaddy followed these laws. I know the words of Moses, and now this guy's telling me that I, God's got a grant that I come to him? Friends, this teaching is still hard to hear today because we still have a hard time understanding how hardened we are in our sin and how much we need God's grace. There are many Americans who read these very same words and they go, I was raised in the church. My parents brought me to every function. If the door was open, I was there. I prayed the prayer. I read my Bible. I know the words of God. And now this passage is telling me that God chose me before I could choose Him? What in the world? That's the gospel, friends. If you're a Christian today, it was you who chose Jesus, but it was God who chose you to choose Him. And we call that grace. The reason this is so offensive to us is because we still, your pastor included, still daily battle our flesh which says that we don't, we're not really that sinful. We don't really need that kind of grace. We can come to Him on our own. What Jesus is telling these people is no, the flesh profits nothing. Before the Spirit comes and opens our eyes, we are blind, treacherous rebels who want no part of Jesus. I've often heard, when I listen to testimonies, and I'm giving my testimony tomorrow night, I believe that testimony, the gift of testimony, is one of the great gifts that God has given the church. And I'm going to give mine tomorrow night. Um, sometimes, not all, sometimes I hear people, though, who will treat their testimony like it's the gospel. Do you know what I mean? Like the story of their conversion is what saved them. And what Jesus is saying, your story isn't what saves you, the gospel is what saves you. And if we confuse the two, over time we start to hang our hat on our experience instead of what God did. And what Jesus is telling them is the exact same thing. I know you've got a great story. I know you have the right pedigree. I know you're familiar with the law. But there's no salvation that doesn't go through me first. One of the hardest conversations to have as a pastor is not trying to convince unbelievers that they need the gospel. It's trying to convince people who've grown up in the church their entire life that they need the gospel. That's a hard conversation. If you want to see someone get seriously offended, watch someone who's grown up in the church their entire life being told that they need to believe in the true gospel. I've done this. I've prayed this. I've gone to this. And Jesus says the exact same thing to them today as He did to these fraudulent disciples. Don't tell me what you've done. It's not about what you've done. It's about believing in what I've done. I love verse 66 through 67. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I mean, I, I just picture in my mind, and I don't want to be anti-biblical here, but I'm just picturing in my mind Jesus going, Door's there if you want to go. It's like he's almost prodding them. Everybody else has left. Y'all good? This reminds me, I ran. I used to run cross-country. Any cross-country runners here? I know Sophia is freakishly fast. Well, we in the summers we would have they'd ratchet up the 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 regiment. You know, we'd have to like on Mondays we would run ten. On Wednesdays though, you could run ten because you don't have to stop. You just it's the it's the interval training that's the hardest. And that's Wednesday. And I remember being in Kentucky, plenty of cornfields, really hot roads. And I remember we would do these intervals, and around mile eight. We would just, and coach would go, and coach, you know, coach, have the water, you know, didn't run at all. You know, he might want to quit. How many people ever played football and had a coach say that? How many played some sport or, 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 or the first day of class, somebody was trying to weed out the weak ones? You know, in some sense, that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's weeding them out. He says, you want to follow me when I can give you bread? You want to follow me when I can do miracles? Do you want to follow me when I tell you I got to, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Do you want to follow me when I'm on a cross? Do you want to follow me when I'm spit on? Yes, you want to follow me when I can get you things. Do you want to follow me when I take everything from you? For some, Jesus is weeding them out. But for others, he's making them stronger. That is exactly what we see here. Jesus is going, you want, you want to quit? Let me tell you all this. Every single time there's a hard teaching in the Bible today that I preach or someone else preaches or you listen to, Jesus is speaking. And what he's saying is, anybody want to quit? Anybody want to go find a church that can tell you what you really want to hear instead of the Bible? Anybody want to go find a Jesus that suits them better? If the Christian walk is a race, you better believe that every once in a while Jesus speaks into our hearts and says, you can quit if you want. And here's the good news. For those of us who do trust in Jesus, for those who aren't offended by God's grace, we know it's for our good because what Jesus says in this passage is, I know you'll make it because I've made sure you'll make it. Passages like these are the reason I believe three things in this life. It's hard to follow Jesus and most people will not follow Jesus. It, number two, it is only by grace that I can follow Jesus. And number three, for those who place their faith in Him, He promises that He will keep you and He will not let you go. We need this passage right now because to those who don't believe, Jesus talking about the Father granting, that's just offensive. But to those who do, not believe, who, those who do believe, it's the best news we've ever heard because it says that we are not a mistake, God is on our side, and He has us even when we don't have ourselves. The Greek word that John uses here for take offense is skandalizai, which is where we get the word scandal. 
Jesus is a scandal to the unbelieving heart. Jesus is offensive not because His words are harsh, but because their hearts are hardened. I want to read from Jeremiah 32, verse 40. This has got to be one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. This is what God tells His people. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. And I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, wait for it, that they might not turn away from me. That's the reason God sends His Holy Spirit. That you might not turn away. Thank God salvation is not from Abi's flesh. Or I would have turned away a long time ago. The climax of this passage, just to end, is verses 68 through 69. Jesus asks them if they want to leave, and Peter essentially answers for the, for the twelve. This is what he says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. So, Jesus, so basically Peter says, where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to find our hope in? Who else is going to save us? I don't know about everything you just said and I really don't understand it all, but I know you're the Son of God and I need to follow you. When the world looks at us, y'all, and they say, are y'all still following Jesus? He's dead. Are y'all still reading that old book? Are y'all still preaching that the only way to the next afterlife is through a guy that was crucified under the Roman government? Like, that's so outdated. And our response to them is, where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Where else do we find our hope? Yes, I know it appears stupid to you. I know it's a rock of offense to you. It's my salvation. Friends, listen to me this morning. Christians are the least offended people on earth because we are the only ones on earth who understand how offensive our sin is to a great and holy God. We're not worried about who offended us. We're still focused on how greatly we've offended God and how vast and deep His love is to forgive us of our offenses. The only way not to be offended by Jesus in this life is to absolutely need The gospel says that for unbelievers, Jesus will become a rock of offense, but for believers, He's the rock of salvation. The same Jesus that offends our world today is our only hope. So this morning, if you think the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven is outdated, if you think that the, the idea that God can determine who's saved and that He saves whomever He wills, that's arrogant. If you think the idea that a crucified God will reign forever over eternity, if you think those are weird concepts, let me just ask you this morning, where else are we going to go? To whom else can we turn? There is no other Jesus and there is no other way. I just think when I read this passage, where did everyone else go? Did they come back to their homes? Did they, did they start worshiping another god? And then Peter's going, you're all we have. That is the first step to worshiping God. Having no other way 
getting on our knees and needing Jesus. If you've never thought of God like that, if you've never thought of Christianity or salvation like that, get on your knees and call upon a Savior. Let's pray. Forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us when we don't understand your hard teachings. We need your Holy Spirit to receive the words of eternal life. But Father, thank you for the assurance we have that you're not going to let us go. That if we can simply have that mustard seed of faith, you will grab a hold of us and you will make sure we finish the race. Father, we need that message because it is hard to live as a Christian. Where else do we have to go? Father, continually remind us of our need for Jesus and how desperate we are in our sin to call upon us. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.